You're listening to Out of the Box, a place for marketers to get inspired, get going, and break out of the box. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Jess Overton. You're listening to the Out of the Box podcast, a marketing podcast exploring out-of-the-box approaches to marketing and growth. Today, I'm joined by Daniel Sichel, who leads performance marketing in Europe for Mindshare, a global media agency which works with some of the world's most renowned brands. We'll be unpacking the complicated relationship Daniel sees between traditional blue-chip brands and mobile marketing, whether or not the tide is changing in the context of COVID-19, and other trends in the mobile space. Daniel, thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for having me. Why don't we get started with you introducing yourself a little bit and, and telling the listeners at home and, and me as well, actually, how you got onto the agency side of things at Mindshare. Sure. Uh, so I've been, actually been at Mindshare seven years, which is a crazy long time. Um, I had quite a spotty career before that. I'd probably, on average, had a, stayed at roles maybe a year. I'm a big believer in being in an environment you feel positive in. You spend nine hours a day on average probably at your job so you need to feel good where you are uh, and I moved around until I found somewhere that gave me the freedom uh, to explore and to develop myself and that's what I did at Mindshare. My role sort of has developed from um, heading up their affiliate team to just being a user acquisition and mobile specialist uh, using some of my lead generation background. I sit across some of our larger clients like BP and IBM, helping them both with mobile app campaigns and lead generation activities. Um, and due to my affiliates background, it was a really neat segue into the mobile space. So I've really just upskilled myself over the last few years to be a thought leader internally, both at Mindshare and Group M for helping internal and external partners understand more about what mobile looks like from an agency both for mobile app install campaigns and also for brands looking to invest into in-app inventory. Interesting. Because I, I, as somebody who's worked in mobile for the last eight years, you know, you don't really know you're in a bubble when you're in one. And I don't think that we're in a bubble, right? I think that mobile is going to be the future of mobile advertising. But the sort of feeling that I get is, is that a lot of the, the big blue chip brands are sort of on the fence, that they're still not entirely convinced about mobile. What Can you unpack that a little bit for us? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one, really. I think it's um, I definitely for the agency I work in, our brands are big blue chip brands. They've uh, you know been around for decades and decades, so they, they're very used and comfortable to investing in really traditional areas of media. Um, everything from you know TV, radio to everything online for tr- even traditional digital areas of media, display, social, etc. So this newer area, which maybe we'll call mobile, is something that maybe they hadn't considered before. And I think there were just so many different aspects to it, not just uh, advertising in app, but how we use data, how we identify different audiences, the sort of inventory that's available. Um, and there's just so much unknown for some of these brands. So with the education that needs to happen and because of that unknown area, I think we, we just don't invest as much as we should be doing in mobile. What do you think is the source of, of the hesitation? When you talk about the unknowns, what, what does that really mean? So I think traditionally there's been this taboo against gaming, right? You ask any traditional marketer what the issue with investing in gaming is. And you know, I can't tell you the amount of times I've had responses from people 
that say that the only people that play games are children and uh, and, and parents and young parents. But I think the unknown is, is okay, who are the audiences across those environments and what un, uh, environments are available to them? And then finally, like, why is that environment relevant to my audience? And I think for me, that last point is most important because as marketers, we're always looking to invest in relevant environments across relevant inventory and to relevant audiences. If we can't communicate to our clients on the relevancy of what's available across mobile, then they're just never going to want to put it on plan. How do you get to a point where, where that relevance is really pushed across? What sort of data points are you looking for to, to, to prove that relevance? So I think there's a few ways to answer that question. Uh, one is like very simply just by proving and evidencing that the audiences that we are looking to target are available across those mobile environments that you, know, you have access to. The second point is um, looking at why it's important that we do uh, advertise to people in those moments. So moments is, a, is, a, is another key part of the grease we get, is making sure that we are communicating to audiences at appropriate moments. So what makes someone in an in-app inventory, which I guess is going to be mostly gaming, what makes that an appropriate moment to engage with someone? And then how do we uh, evidence intent from that? Ultimately, and it, maybe if you're running a brand campaign, there's probably less focus on driving engagements, but if it's maybe got more of a performance focus, how can mobile help us show intent in that user journey to want to engage with our advertising? So I think there are a few different ways we can do that. Yeah, it seems to me from, from my side of the coin where I, as I say, I've lived almost entirely in mobile for going on eight or nine years now that it's, it's such a, a measurable channel, right? There's, there's really for us, there's, there's very few data points that, that we can get to. And I feel like it would be a much easier sell than, than what it sounds like, right? If, if you're talking about print advertising or TV advertising, it seems like mobile should just be a, a no brainer, but I guess it's not. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening and uh, I would definitely tend to agree with you. I think what I found interesting working in an agency has been when I bring people in that come from the backgrounds that IronSource comes from, uh, the conversations that you're used to having tend to be with gaming companies. That's where the industry's matured over the last 10 years. But for the traditional brand industry, this is new to them. And actually, they're used to having very different conversations with people coming in wanting access to marketing budgets. And actually, accountability and uh, measured engagements hasn't been as big a part of the conversation as you think. That's maybe only been a shift in the last five years or so, where we're always looking at what the outcome is from our um, advertising, how do we measure ingredients appropriately, what metrics we're placing against everything. Definitely for blue chip brands, brand advertising has been important. We invest really heavily into those uh, traditional channels that we mentioned and, you know, the measures on things like TV and out of home are, are difficult. They're not impossible, but it's difficult. It's challenging. So when it comes to digital advertising, you know, obviously that shift has been to uh, assuming that all digital advertising is performance and that over the last five years, we started to put some of those more engagement metrics across it. But the language you speak is different. You're coming from a very, very different place. And actually, what I try and do is adapt the language I use to my clients so that they just understand the opportunity in a slightly different way. And I think maybe what needs to happen is 
there just needs to be a bit of a um, a bridge uh, to plug the gap that I think is there from the conversations we're used to having with gaming clients where they really are focused on what's the ROI from every penny I spend to traditional brands where that was less of an attributable question. Much harder to ask that question 10 years ago. I, I'm interested when you say that you're you're translating the mobile lingo into a, a perhaps more traditional, more brand style uh, uh, vocabulary. Could you give a couple of examples of, of, of what you're actually doing there in that translation? Yeah. So um, we invest really heavily. Um, when it comes to digital advertising, we invest in textually relevant environments. Um, when we are investing in textually relevant environments, something that we would expect to see because if we're, I, and actually I can draw on my own personal experience, coming from an affiliate background, most of our investment comes on natural customer journeys. Affiliate websites sit on the natural customer journeys of audiences. So you would expect anytime you advertise, you're going to be advertising to more highly engaged audiences. It's not like advertising on a news website where someone's just reading um, about football at the weekend and they see an advert for a pair of shoes or a pair of trainers. Um, this is really, you know, I've come from a background where I'm working with banks and we're advertising on comparison websites, aggregators, um, on retailers where we're advertising on cashback websites, etc. So you, you do, you expect to see that engagement. So for me, I start that conversation on engagement. I start that conversation on you know, we invest so heavily into video formats and traditional environments. Uh, we're always looking at how, how can we really drive engagement with social platforms. And mobile presents an opportunity where someone's staring at the screen, got high impact format that's highly visible, and in most cases, 100% viewable because it's not being hidden in content, it's not below the fold or above the fold, etc. And someone's watching that video paid X amount of thousands of pounds to build. And they're staring at it because that's what they're doing while playing the game. So the impact that that has on that person who's, whose eyes aren't leaving the screen should definitely be measured by how important is it that the right people see our ad. And if I can evidence to you that your audience, your target audience is playing this game, you want to serve and add to them, I can guarantee they watch. That's some of the ways we translate it. So it becomes less about... Um, the install that may happen off the back of it, the sale that may happen, happen off the back of that click, that, but actually just purely brands that want the right people to watch their adverts and make sure it's relevant to them. And if I can evidence that to you, then we're doing the right job. That certainly presents more of a challenge than I think I face in our day-to-day -day, uh, when we work certainly on, on the back end of, of, of those campaigns where we're looking at post-install engagement or or actual users use of the of the application as opposed to really getting it in front of the right audience and ensuring that that the the, the video or whatever the ad format might be is is really getting to the right person i wonder you talked a little bit about you know what we're measuring right whether we're measuring who the ad is being shown to or whether we're me measuring clicks or or engagement how do you align your incentives between a, a big brand like, say, an IBM or, or, or a BP and the agency? How does that work? So I think, yeah, metrics is a really important question here. Um, 
because often uh, there's a again a gap between the metrics or the measures that are uh, communicated across the brief and the metrics and measures available are what we want to put on our advertising depending on the channel and what i mean by that is sometimes we're given business objectives or not given business objectives in our brief um, and the specific kpis that can be measured that may help deliver against those business objectives aren't actually listed out in our client brief so actually it's on us as an agency to start defining them so if the example is we need to evidence relevancy we need to increase brand uh, advocacy amongst an audience how do we measure that so as an agency we may come back with things like we want uh, completed views we think completed views are a great way of measuring brand advocacy and brand uplift because actually if someone's willing to watch a whole video then uh, seeing people finish the video rather than watching two seconds of it which we often see in some other channels that's a really great way of evidence the audience was relevant Asset. So then we'd go about and we'd identify channels and partners that can help deliver on those metrics. And that's why we do tend to look at, um, at in-app in those cases, because we know how successful in-app inventory is at delivering video uh, completion rates. Um, and as I mentioned from the previous question, like people really are staring at the screen. We're not really worried about that video playing in the background. Like they are very highly engaged. The incentive for us is that we need to provide channels, we need to provide options for our clients that very clearly evidence value, and there shouldn't be any question of incrementality in terms of what we're offering. And with all these questions that have been over the last few years of, on viewability, um, on fraudulent clicks, etc., that's why for us, mobile presents something that hopefully should get around some difficult questions that we have to answer elsewhere. I think it, it seems to me at least that this year must have really been a, a year of rising tide for you as a as a mobile thought leader in the in in the mindshare business and and perhaps in in agencies in general. You really got a, a big push. Can you talk a little bit about the effect that you've seen since the the, the start of COVID nineteen last year and and through twenty twenty one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we work. A lot of our brands are mobile first brands. A lot of them have big offline offerings. And what we've seen is that brands have realized that they're no longer seeing audiences engage with them offline as they were previously. Uh, you know, less people are driving to petrol stations, people are driving less. So we're not seeing uh, fuel sales as high as they used to be. Uh, we work with brands like KFC who launched their click and collect offering uh, for their, through their app recently. And that was due to the fact that, well, I'm sure they were planning on launching that anyway, but there was just more incentive for them to have that with less people wanting to be store eating KFC. So we've definitely seen this shift of brands' realisation of what an app can offer them. I've always felt an app offers this amazing platform, it's a CRM platform, a fantastic way for them to communicate to their audiences. One they can't do point of sale, um, one that is fully measurable. Uh, and a way that they can continue to see how audiences are interacting. So we work very closely with FMCG brands that really struggle to see how audiences are interacting with their brands. They don't get that data with the retailers. They invest quite heavily into technology that tries to understand you know, where your eyes are looking when you're walking up and down aisles in the supermarket, just so they can see, am I noticing my brand? Does, does my brand stick out? But apps really offer something completely different. Apps are a, a 
a two-way communication between the consumer and the brand that tells the brand, well, this person is interacting in a very specific way within my app. What can I learn about that? What, what, can I, what does that tell me about my target audience? Is that target audience maybe slightly different from who I thought they were? And how can I better communicate to them? Things like push notifications, um, email engagements, all of these things are now more personalized due to the fact that they've got this, uh, this app on someone's device, this personal device that is just an ongoing way that the two, uh, that both brands and consumers can communicate with one another. And I think consumers appreciate it as well because they like that personalized feeling. They like the fact that they have a lot more control about how they can talk to brands. And I think over the last year, and what we've definitely seen is app usage has increased, um, whether that's at home, whether that's using like click collect features, and that's also just, they're communicating better. They're leaving, we're seeing more reviews being led, um, more opinions being given about how they feel the app should be improved. And that's been a really interesting feature as consumers get used to dealing with brands within app environments, just communicating back to them about how they'd like to see those environments improved. It's been amazing. And it's clearly the future of brand communication through app environments. And I think consumers are loving it too. I'm, I, I, I certainly am. So I, I, I imagine most of the world is. I'm particularly interested in the, the, the mix of both an app experience and a brick and mortar experience. Because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but certainly before COVID, it felt like those were two quite separate worlds. But when you're talking about KFC Click and Collect and perhaps even BP Me has that, mm-hmm. or even virtual experiences that, that we can connect with that brick and mortar brand, I'm interested to hear more about how your clients are leveraging that sort of collision of worlds. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a great question. So, um, you know, we both brands you mentioned, BP Me and uh, KFC, we also uh, we run M&S as well, M&S loyalty app. But there's this big keyword loyalty here. So I think previously these brick and mortar bands, loyalty for them would have meant engagement offline, would have meant people coming into their stores frequently, would have meant people regularly being available in KFC, regularly being in a petrol station regularly shopping an M&S shop, M&S store. Now what we're seeing, loyalty means something slightly different. For them now, loyalty is about how people are engaging within our digital environments. Are we seeing people, BP is a great example, are we seeing people look at what the retail offers that are available, do research before they actually go into the store? So loyalty issuance, they get points from actually purchasing retail items. It's no longer about purchasing petrol. It's actually about offering a level of convenience to audiences via these loyalty programs, via the convenience items available in petrol stations, via, via the M&S stores, some of them. Um, so it's marrying up some of the things that they know consumers were doing uh, offline, so just going into a petrol station to get a snack, but actually about how do we communicate that feeling, that convenience feeling, that loyalty feeling via our app. No longer just expecting consumers to just randomly walk into the street, but actually we need to talk to them about it. We need to talk to them about the benefits of these apps, the benefits of this digital platform to engage and actually incentivize them via things like loyalty points, via things like uh, additional retail offering. And I think they've realized the app gives them an opportunity to do that and communicate that while people are at home and while people are not actually where that brand is not necessarily front of mind, but because they've got the app there, they've got a way to communicate that, make it front of mind to consumers 
even when they're not thinking about it. KFC's Brief to Mindshare this year is all about moments. Like how do we communicate appropriate moments where consumers are thinking about KFC? Well, maybe when people were offline, it may have been walking past KFC's store. It may have been coming out off the back of a, out of a nightclub at the end of the night. But now those moments can be when we're at home and we're watching our favorite TV program, when we're uh, on computer playing our favorite game and it's, we're listening to music. Those moments are so much more because we've got this digital platform that we can engage with consumers on, on their phones all the time. So that's how they've married it up. They've married it up by being better communicating some of those key terms like loyalty and uh, yeah, well, loyalty being the main one and convenience to audience. Yeah. And then I guess you tie that straight back to contextualization, right? Which is where we sort of started our conversation about how you can acquire users, yeah. which is really hitting that context, right? You've been gaming for three hours. Why not grab a box of chicken, right? That's, uh, I got, I'm probably simplifying things a little bit down there, but that's the sort of idea that uh, yeah. that you guys are writing. Interesting. Yeah, I, the, the surprising thing has been that we've seen such high success from gaming inventory for brands that maybe wouldn't have considered gaming as a contextually relevant environment for them to be in. And maybe the reason why it's contextually relevant in some cases is because of the types of communication that's going across to them about convenience, about some of the you know, food items, etc. potentially. It could also be why we've seen success because the partners we're working with in the gaming space are just absolutely fantastic at optimizing their buys towards some of the performance metrics. So it could be a great way of, you know, you mentioned earlier you know, some of the successes that people, Iron Source have had with gaming companies because of how concerned they are about the ROI of every penny. Well, for brands that are eventually asking that question, when we're eventually asking, okay, well, are, is this delivering success? Is this delivering high quality? Because you guys are so used and so comfortable to only delivering high quality audiences, always measuring that post-install action, we are seeing incredible success from it. And where we're working on more biddable style platforms like social platforms, where we've got buying teams that are having to try and find that same success themselves, they weren't necessarily they weren't necessarily working on uh, app install campaigns ten years ago, so they may not have the same level of experience that some of our partners in the in-app space do. They may not know the types of audiences they may need to be looking for. So I think that that, that those years of experience that IronSource has has really helped us shift the thinking of some of our traditional brands into why gaming and nap inventory is a good environment for them to be in. And ultimately the thing I say to them is like the proof is in the pudding. Try it. Like all of our partners are more than happy to work to performance metrics, try it, and they will prove to you that running budget with them for an app campaign can be successful. I, I agree hundred percent. I'm I'm interested there even to to un unpack a little bit more because we were talking initially about ensuring that we're really getting to our target audiences, right? You're, you're hitting those, those uh, segments that are high engagement with the right context. I wonder if any of these wider campaigns that you've run in gaming have actually opened big brands' eyes to customer segments that were perhaps underserved because they didn't realize they were engaging segments. Is it possible that, you know, the... the 
18 to 24 female category is actually a big one for BP, and they've been focusing on 35-year-old males. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd say the, the simple answer is yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's not saying that there isn't a higher age group playing games as well, but I think absolutely we are seeing success within gaming uh, in a few different areas, not just Athens campaigns, on brand campaigns as well, then we have to accept that that their audience is there, likely in that in that age group you referred to, that are do want to engage with their brand, do want to buy products. And and this actually is something we found really I've found over the years working with agents. We often see groups coming to us that have a target audience. Um and something that I like to do working in the space I have, this user acquisition space so close to that buying audience, is actually start feeding back insights on the buying audiences two brands to help them better brief us on their target audience because there's again often a gap there's often a gap between the target audiences that the client thinks we want to engage with and the buying audiences do see engage with them where i've seen that in in some cases um we, i work very close with automobile brands so i've worked in lead generation across my automobile clients for years across ford volvo mazda and although I would say for the most part, the target audience is always accurate, by with the work I've done across um, lead generation with lead generation companies, we often do see a slight difference in the types of people filling out test drive requests, and affiliate or comparison environments to the audiences that some of our brands think they should be targeted. And that one of the things that's led to is investment by automobile brands in in-app inventory. I mean, there's a few reasons for that, um, but I think obviously they've seen the opportunity to engage with younger audiences in an environment they're comfortable with to communicate really high value items to them. And the other benefit they've seen is just some of the more dynamic creative formats that are available, some of the intent-driven creative formats. You know, we talked earlier about how we show intent in, um, in our marketing, in our campaigns. And uh, I remember Mindshare was one of the first companies to invest in Facebook's 360 format, which is a really appropriate format for automobile brands. You want to take a tour of a car, you want to see a bird's eye view of how that car looks like driving along or in the workshop. Well, that's, you know, we invested heavily into that. But one of the formats we've trialed quite extensively within app company is uh, the customizable formats for like, customizable video formats for automobile brands so uh making allowing users to customize cars allowing users to be inside the car outside the car flip it around that that same 360 view we get from facebook also available in app and again one of the values there is it takes over the screen so it's an even bigger format than what's available across the social platform so black brands are really starting to see the value not just when we're talking about Athens campaign but when we look at the formats available when we look at how do we engage more appropriate context like contextually or relevant environments for our younger audience this is a really great way of doing it and it's a nice way of then taking a break from the game they're already touching the screen, so touching the screen to engage with that format is great um on on that same note car brands have been uh, thinking about configurators which is their like on-site tools to allow you to configurate cars thinking about that for years in some cases they'll hold that 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 um engagement in the same regard as a test drive request or a brochure request 
know, they really see that someone showing intent to build a car, customize it in the same way, configurate it to the spec they want as the ultimate uh, lead, as the ultimate way of that customer showing intent. So being able to do that within the ad format on a third, in a third party environment in apps has been great. Um, and it's something that we fully believe will continue to see over the next few years as brands wanting to invest in formats that help audiences show intent in that user journey. That certainly, it sounds like a very powerful experience, certainly, and, and drives a lot of uh, a lot of stickiness with users, I imagine, when they have the ability to really customize a, a car from their living room, Absolutely. and then all they have to do is come and pick it up. It's amazing. I imagine also that there's there's going to be a wave to ride there in, uh, in augmented reality and virtual reality. I mean, we're only a step away, uh, I hope, from that being a more ubiquitous reality. Uh, and and certainly, if we talk about test driving a car, I mean the the, the possibilities are endless. I think there's yeah making the jump from mobile to virtual reality, having a virtual test drive. It was just it sounds like such an amazing advertising experience. I guess still a little ways off, but but certainly certainly not 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 too far into our future. Something that we always try and do is when when we consider some of these with traditional blue chip brands, these longer user journeys, these longer customer journeys, where it's not just you see an ad and you purchase in the next five minutes, where you know something any of the brands are talking about the, the customer journey may be a week, uh, a month, six months, a year in some cases with auto brands. We need to show how we validate audiences. Uh, within our advertising. So these formats you're referring to, augmented reality, virtual reality, customizable formats, the ways that users can engage and change vehicles, etc. That is an, a fantastic way of validating. Um, and it shows that we're, we're advertising to the right people, we're communicating the message, the right messages to the right people. And if we can do that, continue to do that through our digital partners, if we can new to run formats where we don't need to show immediate sales off the back of run, but actually validate audiences via dynamic formats we're referring to. Then we sort of tick our jobs as marketers, where we're showing ourselves and our clients that we're doing the right thing, serving ads to the right people. Um, and that ultimately, that's what clients want. Well, it sounds like you guys are leveraging a, a host of technologies really to get to users, the right user at the right time, which is certainly something that I've always preached. I wonder if if you've identified a gap in the market, though. Are there any are there any technologies that you think are missing to to catalyze big brands into really adopting mobile as a as their main platform for advertising? So yeah, I, I think there are. I think that uh, there's a few different areas that I think are missing here. Um, I want to see more work, and that that can be on both sides, both on the supply side and the demand side to uh, make it very clear or to make it very clear on what inventory is available across in app to big brands like that so when we move into some of our more programmatic uh, buying clients like why are we not programmatically just automatically buying nap inventory if we see an audience there why is that why is that in app inventory not automatically programmatically available to us because when we buy programmatically we take an audience first approach as long as the environment is brand safe, as long as it's appropriate for the brand to be shown there, then we should absolutely be advertising there. Programmatic buying objectives aren't necessarily just textual relevance, it's audience relevance, making sure we're targeting people there. And 
we do see some limitations in what inventory is available via our DSPs. I know that there are changes there, and I know that um, we are, as a group, Group M is actively working with supply-side partners uh, in to, to be able to access that inventory. They're working with in-app networks like yourself to be able to access that inventory. But there are limitations, or there may be limitations in how much audience data they can get through um, get through these platforms um, to be, make sure we're targeting the right people. So whether that's demographic data um, or anything else that's coming through the bid stream, there are limitations. Maybe it's a brand safety questions, but yeah, I think there are still problems with being able to access some of that in-app inventory programmatically, which is making it slightly difficult for us to integrate some of those buys into uh, the programmatic buying units we have set up in the agency. And then the second part of that is contextual relevance. So this isn't so much about technology, but for me, it's part of, I think it's just a gap in the industry in general. So moving away from just talking about performance campaigns, but looking at um, whose responsibility is it to come to us as an agency with contextually relevant environments. So we either work, in some cases, we'll work directly with websites that have contextually relevant environments. I mentioned some of the websites. And websites that are on the natural customer journey. We also work with partners that like are networks of news websites because they're very clearly contextually relevant for some of our brands, in some cases like travel clients, etc. Mm -hmm. um, lifestyle websites, etc. Well, whose responsibility is it to come to us with that contextually relevant in-app inventory? It's unlikely that we're going to reach out to a specific app, as a lifestyle app or a food app, and say to them, want to buy your inventory. What we're expecting is the same as we see in the desktop space, which is um, programmatically available um, in-app in uh, inventory that's contextually relevant for our brands. Uh, I know personally that there is a like I I'm seeing more apps monetize their inventory that are more lifestyle focused, fitness focused, food focused, but I've not seen any partners really come to us with that offering, and for me that's a gap because. If we want to get traditional brands to be invested in this space, it's not really about the stool that's coming off the back of the bell coming off the back of it. It's just about identifying our target audience in relevant environments and buying advertising space there. But that for me is what I'd like to see over the next six months to a year. I'd like to see partners come to us, either private marketplaces of these apps, programmatically available app inventory. Um, and just communicate that to us, that this is available. Um, and, I, and I think we'd really see a shift in brand thinking. It would make them realize and contextualize you know, the opportunity available here to them. Like a, lot of, a lot of the clients we speak to will be familiar with these lifestyle or food apps. And, and, and that's, I think, the big difference is some of these clients may not be familiar with the gaming industry. They may not play games themselves. And in a lot of cases, they don't. When we come to them with these games, the reaction is often the same, and I'm sure most people in the gaming space have heard it. Like, like we said earlier, there are only certain types of people that play these games, these younger audiences or these young parents, etc. That's not relevant. But a lot of these clients also do use apps. They'll use lifestyle apps. They'll use food apps. So if we can come to them with that offering, it's a much easier conversation to have with them, and I, I don't think it will be as difficult as it is coming to them with exclusive gaming inventory. 
Well, a very interesting insight from an insider. And for any of our industrious listeners, maybe uh, hopefully they'll uh, they'll take your call to arms and turn it into a, uh, turn it into a reality. I wonder if if you could tell me what you think is is perhaps the next frontier, uh, whether it's uh, uh, TikTok or Snap. Uh, what do you think is next for for blue chip for big blue chip brands? The next step is um, definitely being more comfortable with a mobile focus creator or mobile first creative. Uh, and and the reason I say that is because when we just look again back at the campaign objectives, the majority of the investment is going to be in mobile. So the majority of the investment is going to be in more traditional platforms. It may be, if we're looking at digital, we may look at social platforms where we see our digital investment and in most of those cases we may we may see mobile first creative but in a lot and a lot of cases it's video first um and actually like suited specifically to some of the social platforms not necessarily suited to ads being served in mobile environments we're not talking about dynamic ads or customizable ads we're just talking about general video ads and maybe shrunk down so mobile that's really not what we need for in-app environments that's not enough um it's not what consumers are used to engaging with and like we mentioned earlier the, the ad formats they're used to engaging with in mobile first environments in app, in-app environments are a bit more dynamic than they are a bit more customizable they are a bit more playable even and i think that's really the key thing is we need to invest more heavily into creative that's suited to the environment we're serving in and the and how the audience reacted there so that for me is the next frontier it's just making sure that if we're going to put in-app inventory on plan we ensure that the creative is suitable for that um, it's providing our clients with more insight into the granular audience detail so that for me is a limitation which we need to be able to get around because even if even if uh the same limitations are there in desktop, right? How much demographic information is there being passed back through midstream desktop environment is the is what we're told actually the reality because there are definitely limitations across desktop environments with demographic info. But those partners work really hard to make sure that they're very clear with our clients about how they're getting that data or what that what data is available to them and they communicate that really effectively to them. So there is this trust. And I think that frontier is like, how do we build more trust between mobile first partners and traditional brands? How do we remove the, uh, the questions we have around brand safety? And in truth, like for me, it's not even a question anymore. There are lots of brand safety solutions that do work in that environment. That's something we try to get around as soon as the question is raised. Um, and then the final thing is that, as I mentioned, contextual relevancy. That that is needs to be the biggest development. I think you know, we talk about gaming, we talked about gaming for a really long time, for years, and that's a mature market. This less mature market, this growing market, this growing area is contextually relevant app inventory for, for traditional brands. It's growing. I think there's a huge opportunity for anyone really to make headway in that space to come to traditional brands with that offering and to, to shape it in the same way that we would otherwise buy inventory across desktop environments and need to come with that same style. We need to look at how our other uh, display networks and, and programmatic networks communicate the availability of that inventory to 
brands in desktop space and can you replicate that in some way from an app perspective so i think at the moment the language that's being spoken by app networks very different to the language being spoken by uh by traditional uh, display networks and that needs to be the biggest change is the language change the trust change what an opportunity I- i'm sold you fired me up I'm 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 ready. Let's uh, let's get it going. I think there's there's just an absolutely huge opportunity there. Right? There's it's just value creation on every side of the coin, and uh, there there just seems to be zero downside. Um, so I, I Daniel, I think you've you've given us a huge amount of insight into the world of mobile from an agency perspective, where you think the world is going. I think I really have only one question left. Uh, We've been we've been in lockdowns and we haven't been traveling. And as as listeners may have identified, you're from London. Uh, I'm hoping I'm going to get there in the not too distant future. I want to know if you had two hours to show us your favorite creative, innovative, or out of the box place in London. What would it be? One of the places, the quirkiest places I love in London is Little Venice, um, and it may not be the strangest place on face value to people. The reason why I find it quite quirky is because I love houseboats. I think uh, houseboats are a beautiful uh, vehicle to just look at when you're walking along the canals. I think that the different ways that people dress them up, the different ways that people show them off is amazing. And we have houseboat festivals at different points of the year. But being able to walk up and down the canals and seeing like so close into people's essentially homes, which are just on a river or on a canal is amazing and they're quirky and they're lovely and they're colorful they have signs outside they they have gardens on top little animals figurines it's just an amazing sight to see when you walk down the canals just to look in be i feel it's really nosy but i'm quite a nosy person so just being able to look into the houseboats and like they just make such good conversation um, and it just gives you such a varied view when you're walking up and down these routes. It's just, for me, it's one of my favorite places in London. Well, I'll add it to my list because I, I haven't been. I can honestly say I have not been to a houseboat festival in London. I'll put that on my list for the next time I'm there. It's yeah, a good one. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us. It was an absolute pleasure speaking. That's it. Thank you so much. Take care.